According to Amnesty International, the war in Yemen has claimed more than 20,000 civilian lives, forced 3.65 million out of their homes, left 24.1 million people in need of humanitarian assistance, and caused 16 million people to wake up hungry every day. As of 2020, a total number of 233,000 Yemenis have died as a result of the war. Welcome to Society of Strife. This week, we'll be talking about the war in Yemen that began shortly after the Arab Spring of 2011. We'll also talk about its subsequent evolution into a civil war in 2014. If you like this episode, please leave a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Society of Strife Podcast and on Twitter at Society of Strife so you can catch up on the latest developments on the show. Following the show on social media will also enable you to interact with me directly and even suggest stories you think I ought to cover. Before we get started on the episode, I have to issue a disclaimer. This episode involves the description of graphic material that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Before we talk about the war itself, let's talk about the players. The first player is the Houthi movement. The Houthi movement is an Islamist political and armed movement that emerged from Sadar in northern Yemen during the 1990s. The movement is called Houthis because the leader came from the Houthi tribe. The Houthi movement is a predominantly Shia force. Shia is a branch of Islam. The Houthis have a complicated relationship with Yemen's Sunni Muslims, having dis discriminated against them, but also actively recruiting them and allying with them. Under the leadership of Hussein Badreddin al-Houthi, the group emerged as an opposition to former Yemeni president Ali Abdullah Saleh. At this point, I feel I should talk about Hussein Badreddin al-Houthi, because he'll be featuring several times on this episode. Hussein Badreddin, also referred to as Sheikh Hussein Badr al-Din al-Houthi, was born in 1956 in the Maran area of the Sadar region. He was a Zaidi religious, political and military ruler, as well as a former member of the Yemeni parliament for the Al-Haq party between 1993 and 1997. After his term in parliament, he dedicated his time leading the Believing Youth, a group he helped establish in the mid-1990s affiliated with the Al-Haq party. According to some sources, Believing Youth evolved into the Houthi movement. Sheikh Hussein was killed on September 9, 2004 by Yemeni forces in the mountains of Sadar province. The Houthi movement took his name in order to honor him. The Houthi movement grievances include economic and social marginalization, government corruption, close alignment of the state with the U.S., and Saudi Arabia, and excessive Wahhabi influence on state policy and schools. The movement did not see then-President Ali Abdullah Saleh as a worthy leader because 
he was not a descendant of the Hashemite bloodline, which is the bloodline that is linked to the Prophet Muhammad, but also because he was too closely allied with Saudi Arabia. They have also rejected the current president, Abdrabo Mansur Hadi. The Houthi movement claims to seek autonomy from the Yemeni state of the Zaidi Shiite population to redress its other stated grievances. The current leader of the Houthi movement is Abdul Malik al-Houthi, who assumed leadership in 2006. His second-in-command is his brother-in-law, Yusuf al-Midani. Abdul Malik al-Houthi's brother, Yaya al-Houthi, also serves as an influential figure within the movement. The second player is the, is the internationally recognized government of Yemen. Its leaders, Ali Abdullah Saleh and current president, Abdrabu Mansur Hadi, who was vice president to Ali Abdullah. In this episode, we'll mainly talk about Abdrabu Mansur Hadi, as he was the acting president when the Yemeni presidential palace was attacked during the 2011 Yemeni uprising. The 2011 Yemeni uprising was part of the Arab Spring, which I will cover in a future episode. Abdrabo Mansur Hadi was born on the 1st of September 1945 in Al-Wadeya district, Abiyan. He graduated from, from a military academy in the Federation of South Arabia in 1966. Following a long military career, Hadi became president of Yemen in 2012. Before that, he was the vice president to Ali Abdullah Saleh, who was ousted following Yemen's revolution in 2011. Listeners should note, however, that during the elections that led to Hadi being elected president, he was the sole consensus candidate because the elections had been boycotted by the Houthis and Southern secessionists. On 22nd January 2015, Hadi was forced to resign by the Houthis following his mass protest against his decision to raise fuel subsidies and due to dissatisfaction with the outcome of the 2011 revolution. The Houthis then placed Hadi under house arrest and named a revolutionary committee to assume the powers of the presidency as well as the General People's Congress. A month later, Hadi escaped to his hometown of Eden, rescinded his resignation and denounced the Houthi takeover. He arrived in Riyadh the next day as a coalition of countries led by Saudi Arabia intervened in support of his government. He returned to Aden in September 2015 after Saudi-led forces recaptured the city from the Houthis. In late 2017, he was reportedly residing in Riyadh under house arrest. And those listeners were asking themselves, what? I thought the Saudis were his friends. Well, the moral of that story is, be careful who you choose as friends. So moving on to the third players. The third players are all external influences that contribute military muscle to the war. On one side, we have the Saudi-led coalition, which is made up of Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Kuwait, Bahrain, Egypt, Morocco, and Jordan. The United States, 
France and the United Kingdom provide arms and logistical support to coalition troops. The U.S. involvement has been temporarily reduced by Joe Biden's administration. On the other hand, we have Iran, which has repeatedly denied accusations that it helps the Houthis. The Iranian government openly supports the Houthis but denies backing them militarily. There are other smaller factions in the war such as Al-Qaeda, ISIL and Southern Secessionists. We'll return in a moment. Okay, so listeners, before we continue with the show, I'd like to talk about my friend Ashley. Ashley is the host of a new podcast called Hi, My Name is Ashley and I'm an introvert. Ashley, like myself, is an introvert and in her show, she talks to family and friends and also interviews special guests about life's trials and tribulations as well as what they are most passionate about. From a stroke survivor learning to talk again, a stalking advocate and a casting director to the incredible journey of having traveled from heaven to hell. This show covers everything. It's raw and real and gets to the depths of human life. I have been listening to this show and I find it super inspiring. So as soon as you're done with this episode, search Hi, my name is Ashley and I'm an introvert. In the same place you are listening to this show. After you've listened, let me know what you think on Instagram at Society of Strife Podcast. And now back to the story. So let's talk about the war in Yemen. This will require us to travel back in time to the Arab Spring in Yemen in 2011. The war's roots begin earlier than that in 2004, but the Arab Spring was the main ignition point and led to the evolution of the Yemen war into a full-blown civil war by 2014. The Yemeni revolution, or Intifada, followed the Tunisian revolution and began simultaneously with the Egyptian revolution. In its early phase, the protests in Yemen were against unemployment, economic conditions, and corruption, as well as the government's plan to modify the constitution. The protesters' demands then escalated to calls for the resignation of the former Yemeni president, Abdallah Saleh. Mass defections from the military, as well as Saleh's government, left much of the country without a government. A major demonstration of over 16,000 protesters took place in Yemen's capital, Sana'a, on 27th January 2011. On 2nd February, Saleh announced that he would not run for re-election in 2013 and that he would not pass power to his son. On February 3rd, 20,000 people protested against the government in Sana'a, while others protested in Aden, a southern city in Yemen. A pro-government protest was happening at the same time in Sana'a, organized by armed members of the General People's Congress. All this continued until 18th March 2011, when protesters in Sana were fired upon, resulting in 52 deaths, although some sources claim that the deaths were much higher. Mass defections and resignations from Saleh's government ensued after that event. Starting in late April, Saleh agreed to the Gulf Cooperation Council brokered deal, but backed away three times. After the third time, the GCC declared it was suspending its efforts to mediate in Yemen. 
On 23rd May, a day after Saleh refused to sign the transition agreement, Sheikh Sadiq al-Ahmar, the head of the Hashid Tribal Federation, one of the armed factions in Yemen, declared support for the opposition and his armed supporters came into conflict with armed loyalist forces in the capital Sana'a. On 3rd June, a mosque used by high-level government officials was bombed and five people were killed. Several others were injured, including Saleh. The next day, Abdrabu Mansur Hadi took over as acting president while Saleh flew to Riyadh for treatment. On 23rd November, Saleh signed a power transfer agreement brokered by the GCC in Riyadh, under which he would transfer power to his vice president, Abdrabu Mansur Hadi, within 30 days and leave his post as president by February 2012 in exchange for immunity from prosecution. Although the GCC deal was accepted by joint meeting parties, or the JMP, it was rejected by the protesters and the Houthis, who felt that power was changing hands without really changing hands. In all honesty, after all the research I've done for this episode, it's hard not to disagree with them. A presidential election was held in Yemen on February 21, 2012, with Hadi running unopposed. He unsurprisingly won by 99.8% of the total vote, I guess the 0.2% of the votes were cast wrongly, like the head errors and all that. Hadi took the, off, the oath of office on 25th February 2012, bringing an end to Saleh's 33-year rule. After Hadi took power, he attempted to hold talks on national reconciliation with Houthis and other factions, even though he had not given powerful factions, such as the Houthi, any seats in his cabinet. Hadi's government went as far as to turn over the remains of Hussein al-Houthi, who had been killed in 2009, to his family. He was buried in northern Yemen in 2013 with a representative of the Hadi administration in attendance. Things were looking up until October the same year, when conflict between Houthis and Salafis broke out. The government tried to intervene, but failed, and in 2014, the Houthis took broad control of northern Yemen, including the capital, Sana'a. After the Houthis took control of Sana'a, they established a new government forcing Hadi and his supporters to retreat to Aden and eventually Saudi Arabia. The Saudi-led coalition started bombing campaigns soon after and mobilized armed forces in preparation for an invasion. The Yemeni civil war officially began in 2015 when on March 21st, the Houthi-led Supreme Revolutionary Committee declared a general mobilization to overthrow Hadi and expand their control by driving into southern provinces. The Houthis, together with forces loyal to Saleh, began fighting in the province of Lahij, and by 25th March, Lahij had fallen, and the Supreme Revolutionary Committee had reached the outskirts of Aden, Haji's stronghold. Haji immediately fled to Saudi Arabia, where he remains under house arrest, quote-unquote, for his own protection, until now. 
Houthi forces currently control Sana'a and the whole northern Yemen apart from Marib province. They have clashed with Saudi-backed pro-government forces loyal to Hadi. Most of the anti-Houthi movements have collapsed with the regular clashes between pro-Hadi forces backed by Saudi Arabia and southern separatists backed by the UAE. Al-Qaeda and ISIL, or the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, have also taken advantage of the upheaval by repeatedly carrying out attacks against the two factions and controlling swathes of the territory in the hinterlands and along stretches of the coast. Former President Ali Abdallah Saleh was killed by the Houthis in 2017. The war in Yemen stands at a stalemate to this day and is largely seen as a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia, with Saudi Arabia trying to reduce Iran's influence in the region, killing tens of thousands of civilians in the process with the international communities, especially the West's blessing. Because let's be honest, without most of the West supplying weapons, there wouldn't be a war in Saudi Arabia. I mean in Yemen by Saudi Arabia, would there? This episode would be incomplete if we didn't look at the effects of the war on Yemen's civilian population. All parties of the conflict have engaged in arbitrary detention and enforced disappearance and torture over the past years. These have included persons from all walks of life who have been targeted solely for their political, religious and professional affiliations or their peaceful activism. The internationally recognized government has harassed, threatened and detained activists, including human rights activists. Houthi forces have also detained critics and opponents, as well as journalists, human rights activists and members of the Baha'i community. The parties in the conflict have also exacerbated an already severe humanitarian crisis resulting from years of poverty and poor governance, causing immense human suffering. As of today, 24.1 million Yemenis require humanitarian assistance to survive. According to UNICEF, the conflict has left at least 500,000 public sector workers without salaries for the last three years. The organization has also estimates that 12.24 ch million children are in need. Such dire economic conditions have worsened the already catastrophic humanitarian crisis in the country. With the inflation of the Yemeni real and the government unable to pay public sector salaries, September 2018 saw a wave of demonstrations spreading across the south of Yemen with people protesting against corruption and blaming the government for the deterioration of the economy, which has left a majority of Yemenis unable to buy basic commodities. Both parties in the war have also contributed to rising cases of human rights violations and war crimes. Houthi forces have indiscriminately shelled residential homes in Yemen and launched missiles into Saudi Arabia. Meanwhile, the Saudi-led coalition has continued to bomb civilian infrastructure and carry out indiscriminate attacks, killing and injuring hundreds of civilians. 
Since 2015, the Saudi and UAE-led coalition carried out scores of airstrikes on civilians, hitting homes, schools, hospitals, markets, mosques, weddings, and funerals. These have resulted in the deaths of 518 civilians and left 433 civilians injured. On 28th June, a precision-guided munition made in the U.S. was used in a coalition airstrike on a residential home in the governorate of Taiz, killing six civilians. Among those killed were three children. On September 1st, an airstrike on a Houthi-controlled detention facility in the southwestern part of Damar killed 130 detainees and injured 40 others. In 2018, an airstrike by the Saudi-led coalition killed at least 50 people, including dozens of children traveling on a bus in the country's Saada province. The International Committee of the Red Cross said its medical teams received the bodies of 29 children, all under the age of 15. They also received 48 injured people. Among those, 30 were children. These are just some of the war crimes that have been committed against Yemen's civilian population. Organizations such as Amnesty International have also documented the coalition's use of six different types of cluster munitions, including US, UK, and Brazilian-made models in Sana'a, Haja, Amran, and Saada governorates. Cluster munitions are banned by the Geneva Convention. All parties have also contributed to the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. The coalition has imposed a land, sea, and air blockade on Yemen, severely restricting the entry of essential goods and aid such as food, fuel, and medical supplies into Yemen. These restrictions have adversely impacted civilian access to basic and necessary services, including food and clean water. Today, Cholera is running rampant in Yemen, killing thousands of people. By 2030, it is estimated that Yemen's capital, Sana'a, will have run out of clean water entirely. The continued conflict has led to a political and security vacuum and the establishment of a haven for armed groups and militias assisted by outside states. Since the outbreak of the conflict, A consortium of states has supplied members of the Saudi Arabia and UAE-led coalition with more than $15 billion of military equipment. This is despite evidence showing that these arms are being used to commit war crimes. States such as the US, UK, France and other European countries continue to supply arms to coalition members in breach of obligations including the Global Arms Trade Treaty for state parties and as well as EU law and domestic laws. By continuing to do so, most of the West has shown clearly that money is more important to them than the lives of hundreds of civilians whose deaths can be attributed to the sales of these weapons. As much as the US has frozen arms sales to the Saudi-led coalition, we need to, to acknowledge the fact that it did continuously do so in the past.
These included the sale of cluster munitions, which are banned by the Geneva Convention. For the first time in modern history, aid is being used as a weapon, and unless the world does something about it, the war in Yemen will be known for the number of people who died while the world stood by and watched. In the making of this episode, I'd like to thank Amnesty International for all the resources that they've made available. Until next week, it's been my pleasure. Goodbye. So, guys, after this depressing episode, be sure to search Hi, my name is Ashley and I'm an introvert to listen now.